are listening to the LWDG Pod Dog with me, Joanne Perrett. I am the founder of the Ladies Working Dog Group. Every single week, I will be talking with our community about how you can improve your relationship with your dog and with a community of women just like you. Don't forget that you can win some prizes every single week with our giveaway. All you need to do to be in with a chance of winning is take a picture of yourself listening to this episode of the podcast, share it on your Instagram stories and tag us at the Ladies Working Dog Group. And if you want to, share your biggest takeaway from this episode with us too, because we'd love to hear what you think. Every single week we go through and we pick a winner and someone wins something exciting from our shop. So definitely get involved if you want to win something. But for now, enjoy this episode. You can do this and we are here to show you how. So let's get started. Hi, my name is Claire Denya and I'm from Family Dog Services based in Maidstone in Kent. Hi, I'm Gemma Martin, one half of Whistle and Wag Dog Training based in Suffolk. Hi, I'm Sam. I run Languedoc Gun Dogs based in Gloucestershire. So this week's episode is all about the difference between gun shy and gun nervousness. So Sam, what is the difference between gun shy dogs and gun nervous dogs? So for me, a gun shy dog, a true gun shy dog is absolutely terrified of anything and everything to do with the sight, the sound and the, the overall sort of feeling of being in a shoot position. Do you think that gun shy or gun nervous can be genetic? I think some dogs are predisposed to being scared of noises through genetics more than others. Is it genetic or is it a case of potentially mum's behaviour to sound whilst they've been little? It's more, well, if it's genetic, then if there's been years and years and years of every pedigree being scared of it, then they're almost almost predisposed to be aware of large sounds, regardless of whether they've actually had a negative experience anyway. I read a paper recently that said about how experiences when the puppies are still in the womb can have either positive or detrimental effects to how a puppy turns out. So it's all well and good saying that, you know, it was born and the breed did an absolutely fantastic job. And then we took it on at eight weeks old and we've done an absolutely fantastic job. But there's potential that if something happened when it was still in the womb, that that might affect, it might have an, uh, an implication on things that you are dealing with later down the line. And also, I suppose it comes into the genshake and nervous conversation has to be as well the behavior of the dog overall because you can have really really confident dogs that are not faced by anything and then you can have other lines where or other dogs bred in a certain way where that whole line is known as being uh want a better word soft can't take noise so are they more likely to be the dogs that we then see the gun shy gun nervous conversation about the reason I ask this is because I do the writing for the Gun Dog Journal. And the amount of people, when I ask them for their most difficult moment, so many of them are, I had a gun shy dog. It's like, it's like the same conversation over and over again, just different people, different owners, different places, different experiences. And they say, I went out on a shoot and then found out my, gun, my dog was gun shy. I work with a lot of dogs that are gun shy or or nervous by certain aspects of what's going on with shot. 
And as you touched on earlier, you've got to look at whether it's the sound alone or whether it's the sight or whether it's the smell or actually is it the atmosphere? Because sometimes with all the prep in the world for preparing your dog for a shoot day, it's very difficult to replicate the entire scenario and atmosphere, even when you put the work into preparing the dog for shot and for picking game. When you actually have that volume of gunshot going off with the whole rest of the atmosphere and the smell of that atmosphere as well, it's a lot for a dog to take on board. So it's actually looking at the prep work that's gone into preparing that dog. Is the dog gun shy or is the dog not prepared? Yeah, and you're quite right, because if you think about it, with all the will in the world, we can't prepare for 20 guns standing behind us, shooting uh, quite consistently with thousands of birds, with noise, with people with flags, you know, that literally if you put together every single part of that environment and then said, hold on, have I prepared my dog for this? Most of us would have to put our hands up and say, no, not in any way being able to do or replicate what we can see now. So is that the point where we find out a gun-shy dog? Do we give them that label then when actually it, it isn't? the gun shy or gun nervous it's the whole thing yeah and that's where you have to take a step back in your training or as a trainer we have to help the owner prepare their dog for the day not just prepare the dog for the gunshot you know like a starter pistol doesn't sound simple you know doesn't sound like what the sort of shot you actually get on a shoot day you know dummy launchers it's not the same So there's all that prep work and, you know, has the dog been exposed to the sound of clay shoots, which clay shoots are a bit more boomy, banging, more constant, which is going to be more realistic to maybe what might happen on a drive on a shoot day. So it is taking a step back and looking at what has been done with the dog. Is the dog gun shy or is the dog just not prepared for the entirety of a shoot day? So if we take into on board that, at what point can we put on the label, this dog is gun shy or this dog is gun nervous? For me, quite often I will spot it with a client um, in classes when we start introducing shot. The way that we introduce shot, we obviously don't want dogs running in every time they hear shot. We try and make the shot an exciting thing for the dog to hear, but we make it exciting with the owner. They might be playing with the dog, having some fun with the dog the very first time there's a shot in the distance. So I will actually stay near where the handlers and the dogs are and I'll be watching the dog's body language and the dog's behaviour. John will be way, way, way over out the other side of the field with the starter pistol just going off in the background just so I can start to watch the dog's body language and see how they're responding. Are they still engaging in play with the owner? Are they still happy to carry on? Are they happy to do a little retrieve whilst it's just a background noise? So we're not making it a main event straight away. It's a background noise. And I'm there gauging the dogs and watching the dog and going, okay, are any of these dogs likely to be phased by this? Are they showing any signs that there's something happening that's making them feel uncomfortable? And I'll start the process of working that out from there. We're also spending a lot of that time 
watching the owners and the handlers of said dogs. So it may be that the dog itself is gone, uh, it's playing happily with its owner and it's gone, oh, what was that noise? Oh, it's fine, I'll come back over here. But the owner has seen the dog go, what was that? And has instantly leapt in with a, it's okay, you're all right. And some quite switched on dogs will then go, oh, I jump every time I hear a bang. I get extra cuddles. This is worth continuing. I think that's a really valid point, Sam, as well. And I think a lot of um, dogs that are scared of fireworks and things like that is also due to owner's reaction rather than dog actually being genuinely scared of the noise because there's so much uh, on Facebook and on the news about dogs being terrified of fireworks. Owners almost expect their dogs to be scared of fireworks. So when one goes off, people go, oh, it's fine, it's fine. And like you say, the dogs react to that and see it as something that should be scared and, oh, I need extra cuddles because it is scary. So we've talked about, I know in our um, podcast on fireworks, we talked about almost this non-reaction basically ignore the behavior whether they look nervous or you know whether they're fine we are not responding ourselves to it where is it a case though that we know we've got a problem that's not going to go away over slow introduction to shot so if a dog for me if a, if a dog starts reacting very negatively they're actively trying to get away um, and they can't concentrate, focus, play with the owner anymore. Um, some dogs will vocalise, but really the signs that I'm looking for to see if a dog is struggling with gunshot during them introductions is the dog actively trying to get away. So if you take my own dog, Indy, who was gun shy after she was attacked by another dog, she would actually bolt and clear fields to get away from the noise. Now, that's real fear. She would just run and run and run. Um, and it just it's, it happened very suddenly. So, you know, that's a very, very clear indication from the dog. I need to get away from this. It's not the dog just looking and going, oh, what was that? And being inquisitive. It's the dog actively trying to get away from that sound. Maybe they suddenly lose the ability to actually um, play with the owner. So you know, they, they will suddenly freeze. And you can see in the dog, there's this moment where they're just freezing and they're working out how they feel about this situation. And at that point, that's when you kind of need the owner to step up and say, come on, this is it, this is what we're doing and be okay with that. So it's looking for body language, you know, Dogs are very obvious with their body language when they're genuinely fearful. You're going to get a lot of signs from the dog, licking of the lips, towel tucked under, trying to get away, avoidance behaviours. But as Sam and I were talking earlier, you have to be very careful because some of them behaviours can very easily become learned behaviours as well. I suppose for us, when we are seeing our dog show a interest, so your shot looks for the, the shot. It's quite a, a weird situation, isn't it? Because part of us is, is trying to teach the dog to mark. So we do want an interest in the shot. But what we've got to be careful of, you're saying, is when we're first introducing them to shot, is keep in mind that we want them to have that interest in shot. So not being overly dramatic if they look in that direction or, or they're concentrating on it. 
Is that right? I would say yes. So you are, if I introduce a new behavior, I will to a certain extent or a new part of a behavior, if I'm tweaking it or changing the expectations, then to a certain extent, I will expect the rest of that or another piece of that behavior to just go backwards maybe a little bit. So when I'm introducing a dog to shop, because I need the dog to basically hear shot and go, yippee, this is great fun, then I will introduce shot more often than not, A, alongside older, more experienced dogs. So the younger dog can sort of look at it. The younger dog will almost always go, oh, what was that noise? But if it sees its mate sat next to it going, oh, yeah, this is cool, this is great fun, we're going to get retrieved in a minute, then it will feed off their excitement. And I'll also, uh, I think Claire said earlier, we don't want them running in every time they hear a shot. But if you can introduce shot while they are retrieving, whilst they're having fun, whilst they're playing, maybe they're doing some quartering with the handler, they're focused and actively engaged in enough of a fashion that they basically just go, well, okay, noise. This is way more fun. Let me carry on with this now. And then over time, you can gradually bring it closer and up the criteria of what you're asking for the dog. So it's all done in baby stages. And it is a bit of a fine line or a balancing act as to which bits you're going to let go in order to push that bit forward. And then we'll sort of let that bit go to push the other bit forward. And then eventually we find the happy middle ground. Because this is the one thing, I won't swear because Apple make us explicit but this is one of the one thing where you really can't mess it up you know you can act you know you can ask too much of a retrieve or you could do something you think oh that that was a little bit too much for my dog then but you know we'll fix it on the next one but if you decide to push or overstretch on introducing shot you're gonna end up with one of these gun dog gun nervous dogs on you you can't or gun shy dogs you can't suddenly stand next to your dog with uh, a gun, let it off, and then not be shocked, not be shocked when it has a reaction to it. Yeah, absolutely. And every dog will be very different. And we talk about this all the time on the Ladies Working Dog Group, how every dog is different and you have to treat them differently. So even if I'm running a class where we're working with shot, I might do very different things with each dog, depending on how the dog is responding to the shot. So if I've got a dog that looks a little bit nervous, but it's just because it doesn't understand it. That dog might get a retrieve with shot much earlier than a dog that I look at and go, hmm, he's going to be really super keen. So we're not going to be retrieving on shot with him just yet. He's going to learn that the reward is back here with the owner first before we introduce too much fun running forward. So depending on the dog and how the dog is responding will have a lot to do with how quickly you move forward with adding retrieves or whether or not you add retrieves straight away or whether it's play with the owner or whether it's keeping the dog focused on something else and letting them just listen to the shot in the background. You've got to be really open to work differently with each dog. You also need to remember when we're preparing dogs for life on the shooting field that it's not always just the sound I've worked with many dogs, and I'm sure Claire and Gem have as well, that the client has contacted me and said, my dog is gun shy, gun nervous, and I'd like help in working through this. But when you really delve into what happened, it can be because the first time that dog heard shot was when the owner stood three feet away from it and fired a shotgun. It's the first time it's seen a shotgun. It's the first time it's heard the noise. And so from that point forward, 
the dog has associated the sight of that shotgun with scary things. And then the owner gets home and they go to clean their shotgun. And all of a sudden the dog is hiding at the other end of the kitchen and desperately trying to get out into the garden. So it's become more then than just a fear of the noise itself. It's a fear of the actual item, the visual item. And if left to escalate, that can go even further when they see the, the owner put their tweeds on to go shooting for the day. They see them pick up their gun slip. You know, if the dog has, has been scared at its first exposure to the noise, it can lead on lead down very different avenues as to how far you've got to take it back to then work through it again. And that can work both ways as well, kind of, because Jess, my dog, was fine with the sound shot. You could literally be, be standing next to a hedge and there could be 50 guns the other side shooting. She didn't care. The minute you went through that hedge and she saw a gun, then she had to be on a lead because she literally would do what you sort of just discussed, which was she would try to get away. So it was never the sound. It was the actual physical sight. But had you asked anybody, they would say, oh, that's a gun-shy dog, which would make people think it's a sound problem. It was never a sound problem. So for people who find themselves in a position where they need to identify is their dog gun-shy or gun-nervous, where do they all start with this? Because it is a bit of a minefield. And if you look it up online, there's like a, a thousand different conversations going on at any one time. So, yeah, for me, as you just touched on, Joe, I'd be looking at is it the sound, is it the sight, and also is it the smell? Because there's lots of different things you can do depending on that. It's looking at when this started. Is it because there was a poor association or is it because it's not been introduced properly or the process has been rushed? Is the dog generally fearful of sound or is it just this one area? And there's a lot of things that you can do. And for me, it'd be looking at a real combination of counter conditioning. So making the event more exciting, but also desensitization. There are things that you can get like sound disc therapies for gum dogs specifically. And even on your iPhone or other phones, you can get apps which play the sound of shot, you know, you can be quite specific about starter pistols and things like that. But also one of the things that I've found really useful with a couple of dogs that I've worked with recently is using a dummy launcher, because the dummy launcher is so exciting. And so if you've got a dog where it's, you know, they're a little bit nervous, but it, they're not really that frightened. Once you put that dummy launcher in front of them, and there's that little pop and the dummy goes flying, you're increasing the excitement level. So that's another way of doing counter conditioning. So that's where I'd start personally. I think leading on from your question, Joe, about whether you know if your dog's gun nervous or gun shy, I think for me, they're just a similar thing, just at different ends of the spectrum. I don't know how the other ladies feel, but Claire said that she said Indy was gun shy. Now, a lot of people will tell you that a gun shy dog will always be gun shy and they won't ever get over it. I think we're always going to have some dogs that, yes, we can improve and they'll be obedient to shot, but there's still going to be that worry inside them. They might behave, but still be anxious. But yeah, as a, as a difference between gun shy and gun nervous, I think it's all of the same thing. It's just differing extents of how fearful they've come of that sound. It's quite fascinating, really, isn't it? Because even, I suppose, within our group, it's very hard to tie down a definitive description of what a gun shy dog is and what a gun nervous dog is 
There's also those conversations about, is it genetic? Is it not genetic? Is it a learned behavior? Is it an environmental behavior? So as much as we can think about ways of preventing it and then how to treat it, we, we still don't really understand where it's coming from within a dog, do we? For each dog, it could be coming from a different place. Yeah, it could absolutely be coming from a completely different place with each dog. But I think we always run the risk because we're human. We also try and overcomplicate things a lot as well. And although it might be coming from a different place, very often the way we work with it, although there will be different approaches in actually in terms of exercises or methods that we're using with the dog, the core all comes back to the same. You've got to use desensitization and counter conditioning to be able to work with that dog and improve it regardless of where it's coming from and teach the dog a new behavior. So loads of people believe that taking their gun dog to a gun dog trainer um, once a week is going to be enough to cure a dog of being gun shy or gun nervousness. But there's actually a hell of a lot of groundwork that needs to be done at home with the dog to help with the rehabilitation and to change the dog's behaviour. And we're talking constant training here. We're talking a lot of groundwork of playing the sounds in the home when you're walking the dog, of of going to places where you're going to hear those sounds. This, you know, it's getting the owners of the dog to understand that the trainer can't just fix this in a training session that it's the homework that's going to really layer up changing that dog's behavior alongside the trainer then working with other tools to assist the dog and i also think as well it's probably like do you know we talk all the time about proofing your dog in different environments and we can go to a clay shoot and ask for permission to sort of do stuff behind it and things like that but even now if you think about it about the whole environment you can have a clay shoot that's you know in a rural area but quite commercialized so it's got a one certain feel about it and then you can have a clay shoot that's on a sheep farm which has a completely different feel about it so it's about trying to expose the dog, I suppose, to, in a controlled manner, as many different types of environment, so that the sound is probably the only constant thing in where it's going, what it's doing, so that it becomes something that it doesn't even think about. Yeah, to that end, it's exactly the same as we've said for many other subjects and many other things before. We need to prepare our dog for all and any eventualities and possibilities that we think it may come across in the hope that we have covered enough should we end up in a situation that we haven't covered actually they've got enough experience under their belt enough confidence in us in us and in themselves that they can deal with any different feelings or emotions on that day in that new area following on from that Sam, you just what you said was just really important there. If the dog doesn't trust and have belief in the owner, that the owner is the one that keeps them safe and it's a partnership, they're not going to be able to fix a problem like this. It comes back to the relationship. So with all the best will in the world, unless that dog and that owner have got a real partnership where the dog listens, to the owner in life, 
they're going to really struggle to get the dog to change something where it's a behaviour that is potentially fear-based. So we're talking here about um, the situation when it comes to being around an estate or being around guns. From what I'm taking on board, from what you're saying, this is dogs who are scared of any sound, isn't it? We can, you know, we can look at what they're scared of and then think of all these sort of questions you've just been asking. Is it the sound or is it the sight of something or is it in a certain context? Is it in a certain environment? How can we get around it? Do you ladies see dogs who've got phobias or problems with other sounds? <laughs> Definitely. And what you can find is things can spiral. So it might start that it might begin that the dog maybe is nervous of one sound and that can spiral into other sounds and other things as well. You know, in, I will talk about Indy about this. Her, her gun shyness, yes, she was terrified of gunshot, literally terrified. But she was also frightened of the brakes on the buses and the lorries, you know, the air brakes. Um, if I shut a cupboard door, she would shut down. If a car door slammed near her, she would shut down. Basically, any bang was a problem for this dog. And without her learning to trust and be led by me, I would never have been able to fix those problems. And, you know, multiple people told me she was not fixable. And I didn't believe that because it happened so suddenly, so quickly over a four week period of time. I was like, this is not yet a learnt behaviour with the right skills in place and the right tools in place and the right leadership from me I can I can do this with this dog and we did and so you've got to be to be able to change something where a dog is so frightened by sound gun shy whatever it is you've got to be able to take a step back and, and really have a look at what's going on with the dog those brakes on a lorry they frighten me it's they literally do you know if you like we're walking on a curb they like sort of make that whoosh sound, but you almost feel that air as well. And you just realise how close you are to a very large machine. Um, so I, I stand with her on that one. I'm not a, a big lover of that noise either. <laughs> um, I think it's worth bearing in mind that if you know you've done all the introductions correctly and your first few seasons, however many, went absolutely swimmingly and the dog was absolutely fine with gunshots, but then all of a sudden, for no apparent reason, they're suddenly acting differently, scared, nervous, more aware, more jumpy, anything like that. It's always worth um, obviously giving your dog a health check. It could be that actually they've got something in their ear, like a grass seed, they might have an ear infection. They could have done damage to other parts of their body and other injury that actually is all affecting all their sort of their, their ears and their hearing so if you know like I said that it was all going swimmingly and it was brilliant but then there's a sudden change that's again where we need to delve into what's happened how it's happened why it's happened and how we can get through it and correct from here. It's uh, massively valid points um, my housemate's dog actually became fearful of sound when he was experiencing leg pain at the time so he became fearful of household noises like us opening boxes but he'd paired it with his pain. So it's worth bearing in mind, like you say, if that does happen suddenly, there might be something else going on. What about this sort of conversation? Again, it's very much an old fashioned way of 
dealing with this problem where if your dog is scared of sound, you should like literally drop everything anytime you're anywhere near it, bang things, bang food bowls, bang, 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 bang. Is there any value to it? Because, you know, again, I think our our sport tends to to go back to the many things are passed on with with the best of intent, but is there a value to it? No. No, no, and no. <laughs> if you had a fear of a certain type of cow, if you, for whatever reason, you were scared of red cows, and every time you went for a walk and you got chased by a red cow, or even you made yourself walk through a field full of red cows, I don't think it would matter how many times you did it or you made yourself do it, you might feel proud for the fact that you had conquered your fear at that given time, but it wouldn't make it any easier for you to do the next day. So why would you keep putting yourself in that position? So we don't need to be banging the food everywhere. But I do think, I don't know, now maybe I'm, again, inexperienced, I do think there's a lot to be said about not being oversensitive as pups how we are around them so not being scared when they're babies to make noise because we do have that window I'm sure one of you will tell remind me what what ages they are where they don't have fear so at that time it's quite a a nice time to not be concerned about noise so much for me with with puppies I make as much noise as I can and I make it really exciting and really fun and really playful you know but that's different you're basically that's part of habituation and you know socialization and you're getting the dog used to all of the stuff that they're going to experience in their life which you would like to think is going to be gunshot if you want to work in gun dog so those noises are really important part of it but when the dog is fearful you want to be cancer conditioning and desensitizing not flooding so for me like with Indy, if I looked at her, if I had whacked the the uh, app on the phone up on full blast and put it next to her ear roll, that was never going to help her. <laughs> um, but it was having it softly playing in the background, gradually turning that up as she became less aware of it, taking her to clay shoots, but being at a distance. And then as she felt more comfortable getting closer, her favourite toy, the tennis ball. Every time she looked at me when she heard the shot, I bounced the tennis ball for her. Um, She's not a food-motivated dog, so there was going to be no point trying to give her food. But, you know, all of that and building the confidence, not knocking the confidence, whereas when you're working with a puppy or a young dog, you know, you're kind of just throwing it all in there because it's amazing and it's all a big game. So it's very different how you approach it. And what you say there about so that Indy just got sort of that she wasn't aware of it. A very quick story. My mum came to the house on Sunday. We were on a meal for Charlotte's birthday. And she said, doesn't the sound of that aquarium drive you mad? And I said, what sound of the aquarium? And um, she was like, that sound of the water. And I sort of stopped for a second and I could suddenly hear it because it's in our home. I don't hear it at all. And from the moment she mentioned it, for about an hour later, that's all I could hear was the aquarium. And I thought, up until you pointed it out, ma'am, this wasn't a problem to me. Now I can hear the waterfall. So it's a little bit like that, isn't it? It's Because it's a constant sound, a constant background noise to me. 
my mind is sort of completely disregarded it as being anything important or anything I need to pay attention to. Absolutely. That's exactly how it is. And and that's part of desensitisation to something is it just becomes background noise. I'm sure many of our um, other house would be saying hello to sensitive to them right now as well, wouldn't they? So. Selective <laughs> hearing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you very much, ladies, for another fantastic podcast. I hope you've all enjoyed listening. If you have any comments or questions, please pop them in the comments below or send them to us on our Facebook group, and we'll be happy to hear and speak to you there. Thank you all, and we shall speak to you all next week. <laughs>